we're running a marathon in business, staring at our feet. And you don't realize how fast time flies when you're doing that. And it makes the marathon less effective because you're not looking where you're going. And so everything that we're doing is about lifting the, the business's vision to look more forward and be more purposeful where those steps are with an understanding of what's coming next, as opposed to always looking down and, oh, I can't step on that. Ooh, I can't step on that. It's not a great way to run a business. Hey, it's Justin Harvey. Thanks for tuning in to the Anesthesia and Pain Management Success Podcast. With APM Success, we take a close look at important topics pertaining to business, practice management, personal finance, and careers for anesthesiologists and pain management physicians. We work hard to take your critical questions straight to the experts. Thanks for listening. Hello, and welcome to episode 228 of APM Success. Very pleased to be joined today by now friend of the show, Zed Williamson. I've uh, interacted with Zed a bit on some mutual clients. I've had a lot of great conversations with him over the last now year or two. And uh, I'm excited to have him back to talk about some of the things that he's currently working on with working with uh, independent physician practices. Zed, welcome. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. The conversations that we've had in the past related mostly to physician marketing strategies, as an independent practitioner, how do you identify the right type of patient for your practice and a type of procedure that creates a good ROI and finding those patients and helping them in the way that you uniquely can, creating a great patient experience, helping your bottom line all at the same time, the things that doctors need to do if they're gonna run profitable private practice. And I think one of the reasons that you and I have connected so well over the intervening months is that we have come to these same conclusions from our respective areas of expertise that aren't really close to each other, you and marketing and me and financial planning and cash flow, that doctors need to run efficient, strategically oriented business plans within their practice in order to succeed and make it out there in the wild. And that's only getting more and more true with the trends of reimbursement consolidation, et cetera. So with that background, tell us about your journey as a sort of marketing expert and now practice consultant and some other things that you're beginning to offer your physician clients? Where do you see opportunity? Where are physicians making mistakes? And what kinds of things are you helping them address right now? Sure. No, I appreciate that. So I started this company. It's been 13 years now. It was that the company is Trackable Med. And one thing we realized was, you know, our specialty was getting the attention of ideal patients. An ideal patient meaning a patient that the practice loved to treat because they got good outcomes. The patient loved the outcomes, and it was financially healthy for the practice. And we feel that that's important because that's how you build a moat around your medical practice. If you truly want to be in control, you have to be intentional about making it a healthy business. A healthy business can treat more patients than an unhealthy one. And one thing that we witnessed, it's kind of like um, I have, I would guess, a scientific mind in the sense that I love looking at things and experimenting and hypothesizing and looking to see what the real outcome is and changing variables. And one thing that we notice is we could do very similar things for different clients across the country. And the outcome from what would go into the practice would be about the same, but the outcome that the practice would witness as it related to revenue would be significantly different. And so we realize that if we're going to be a company that can be relied on to drive growth in a practice, 
through, let's say, optimizing ideal patient throughput, if we don't help the practice basically make that throughput better, then we can't really say that we're tied to the results. And it was funny, I was at a conference and it was a conference and the speaker said, hey, how many of you out there would raise your hand to say that I would guarantee my results? And my hand kind of went up and came down and went up and came down. And what was going on in my head was, I know we're going to get the results, but it depends on the client if they're going to be able to turn those results into revenue. So I didn't put my hand up and it actually hurt my soul to not do that. And what's funny is the speaker was good. He knew what was going on in the heads of the people in the room. And he said, if you hesitated and you thought to yourself, it depends on the client, then you need to figure out how to take that off the client's you know, plate. Mm-hmm. And that's partially where the, this concept came from of the physician growth accelerator. Trackle, a physician growth accelerator is a trackable med company. And what we're doing is we're identifying points of constraint within the practice. So let me back up and kind of give you an idea what I mean by that. I believe that every system is perfectly designed to get the result it gets. And what that means is no matter what you're dealing with, whether you like the outcome, don't like the outcome, it is the perfect outcome of the system built to make it. So let's say you want to wake up tired and miserable. You could plan a day so that tomorrow you are tired and miserable. Now that sounds kind of silly, but if we own our systems, then we get a freedom to say, okay, I don't like the outcome. I know it's the perfect outcome of this current system, but I don't like it. I wanted something else. So now I can tweak it and get the thing I want. So we've identified nine points of constraint that we typically find in a practice. And so now what we're doing is we're going through a heavy diagnostic saying, where are the constraints in this practice? And then operationalizing that data, meaning not just going, hey, you got a problem, talk to you later, but actually bringing in a solution for those individual constraints in the practice. So I'll stop there because that was probably a lot, way too much at once, but that's where we're headed with the Physician Growth Accelerator. So tell me more about the, did you have any circumstances with current clients and, you know, this guarantee thing? And I'll tell you, I've had the same, I actually talked to a guy today who was interested in talking to me about investments and financial planning. And he told me in the first like eight minutes, my marriage is falling apart. <laughs> I just made a big financial decision. I don't communicate with my spouse. Essentially, the house is on fire relationally. Like we need somebody to help us make better decisions. I'm thinking there is a lot in this circumstance that is going to be outside of my control. And I'm not sure that the outcome is going to be one that is going to be satisfactory. Not because of any lack of ability to engage on the financial stuff, but like, oh, there's a lot more here than I can cover under the purview of my uh, <laughs> my operations. So tell me a little right. bit about, have you had those interactions with clients in the past? And what was it that has sort of led to this? You know, the way I see it for you is like you wanting to get upstream and say like, Uh, I want to help physicians with their strategic thinking, with the structure of the system, not just with the marketing strategy, but like the the decision-making that leads to the the result of like deciding we want to spend more money on marketing. So do you have any like client interactions that led you to doing what you're doing now? Yeah. You know, the the visual is we kind of saw our job as putting water in the bucket understanding that we could fix the whole the marketing holes in the bucket. But if the other business holes are too big, there's a point where it doesn't matter how much you're putting in the bucket. You actually create more pressure to push more out the holes. 
So I'll give you an example. And, you know, when it comes to medical practices, this, this may sting at first for uh, some of your listeners. Let's just break down the business model. Imagine going to someone and say, hey, you want to start a company and you don't get to control your pricing and your costs go up and the people who pay you, they actually get to pay you less over the years and you don't really know when it's coming and your costs continue to go up with employees, with the things you need to treat patients. So you want to get into that business? And and an entrepreneur or business person would look at that and go, gosh, I don't know. That's That seems kind of tough. And then on the other, the flip side of that, there is enough opportunity where mediocre run practices do good enough. And that's what, that, that is what might sting some of your listeners. And someone might look at that and say, well, that's good because, you know, I can do good enough being mediocre. The challenge is when you only have to be mediocre, that tends to be your ceiling that you bounce off of and come down from. And so kind of giving you that, that framework to think about a medical practice as a business and things that we would notice specifically would be around not understanding the information that was at their fingertips to be able to take action on it. There's some crazy stuff that we find. There's a practice that they had no idea, but if you visited their website on a cell phone, it was impossible to call the practice. The web developer had set up the website and made the mistake of having zero way for someone to call the practice if they visited the website on the phone. Now, yikes! when you build a website, you're building it for cell phones because it's probably 75% of your traffic. If you look at your website and you love it because you look at it at your big computer, guess what? You're the only one doing that. Potential patients, they're looking at a cell phone. So now let's take away the number one way that someone's going to connect. And then they wonder why appointments went down. There's so many little examples. Uh, another one, phone calls were coming into the practice and the staff was saying, I can't book your appointment until you have all of your exact insurance information. Now that might seem like a logical thing to do, but we are in a society where people are very distracted. And if someone is calling for an appointment, you book the appointment. You make it so that person feels like as a practice, you care about them and you're there to help them. What happens is office managers get frustrated because someone comes in and their insurance information is wrong. And, and then the billing people kind of complain. And the thing is, is that might be the case, but a regular business, let's say outside of medical, it would tell that part of the business, Hey, it's your job to help clean up the messes of the people generating potential revenue. But in healthcare, Typically, the office manager is juggling so many balls that they're just trying to keep things as aligned as possible. But imagine if what you do to keep it neat and tidy reduces new patient appointments. Like you wouldn't necessarily go, I want to reduce patient appointments. Cool. Yeah, we can do that. We just got to make all these steps for a patient to do. But we do make patients take a lot of steps, not thinking that it's impacting it. So there's a couple examples there. It's what I love about this is it's never some gigantic, it's going to take three years to fix thing. I mean, it hasn't been yet. It's typically no one is looking at the small details and no one is looking at the, the data to just uncover like, hey, we got to make this little tweak. And when you make the little tweak, 
it's like patching one of those holes in the bucket. So now it can fill up with, with water. So for our listeners who have this nagging sense of, oh yeah, I feel like the, you know, the scripts that I'm giving Sally at the front desk, perhaps I'm creating more hurdles to booking that I'm comfortable with. And they're starting to like, the wheels are turning now. Like, am I really running efficiently? Am I creating unnecessary bottlenecks? How would they sort of engage with you and describe the process for how you begin to triage what's going on with these practices and how do we identify those bottlenecks and begin to address them? Sure. You know, and maybe even one step before that, the type of things you might be noticing in your practice to know that there's probably some constraints that you're not dealing with would be really you're on a revenue roller coaster and you're kind of surprised when it's good, surprised when it's bad. You don't really know what to expect. That'd be one sign. If you have drama in the office, one of the biggest constraints is around culture and I know that word gets thrown around a lot, so I'm going to define it specifically as how your team interacts with each other and patients in the office, their mindset. And so if you feel like there's drama in the office or people are not pulling their weight or you're you're frustrated because you can't find anybody to hire or you hire people and they don't stay around, all of those are really good signs that there are some internal constraints to tweak. If you feel like you're busy but not generating the revenue, or you feel like you're not busy and not generating the revenue. These are all signs. So we go through a diagnostic process that uncovers all of the information to give us this landscape. You know, imagine a patient comes in and they're dealing with something. Chances are you don't come, you know, off the top rope with, well, let's do this surgery. You have to do some kind of diagnostics, some kind of tests to understand what's going on. And so that's what we do. And it's going to cover how patients get to the practice. It's going to uncover the experience at the practice by the patient. It's going to uncover the uh, what happens with the patient and the providers, the physicians or surgeons. And it's going to uncover how much you're creating patients to be ambassadors after they've been treated to help drive in more new patients. And then finally, it's going to uncover, is there any kind of culture issue within the organization? And the key is it's what we're looking for is the best opportunity to make an impact right now. And so what we do with that diagnostic is we go through everything and then we create a plan for you that's got specific, here's the point that we're going to attack now, here's how long it's going to take to attack, and here's what it's going to feel like. And we just map out the whole plan. Depending on what your issue is, that's going to depend on how long it's going to take and you know what we attack first. And this can kind of big be big and ambiguous, and I understand that. So then you're wondering like, well, I don't know what this is going to look like. This is going to be rough. So we did create a podcast called the Physician Growth Accelerator. And the purpose of that podcast is to start to cover these topics individually. So I think maybe the longest episode so far is maybe 18 minutes, and that's probably long. Um, the purpose of the podcast is for if you go listen to it as a physician business owner and you get through a couple episodes that are 10, 11, 12 minutes, you're either going to be nodding your head going, yeah, this kind of rings a bell, or you're going to say, eh, you know what? I'm not dealing with this. And that's the purpose of the podcast. Give you tools, give you an understanding of where you stand. And then also the website, you can actually go check what we, we refer to as your vitals. We're really treating it just like a patient comes in, you got to check the vitals. 
And we're doing that for your physician business. So if you go to physiciangrowthaccelerator.com, there's a whole section on vitals. It explains what vitals we're identifying. And there's some questions for you to start answering, yes or no. And it's not one of those like, answer this and submit it to get a score. It's, it's here's the answer. It's just, if you click it, it's going to tell you, here's the likely issue. Here's a sign that you might be noticing. And here's how you can fix it. So we really tried to make it so that we're trying to remove the ambiguity from this because it can be stressful. I mean, you're running a practice. You're likely the, the biggest revenue generator within the practice. You probably run into problems. It feel like you're always putting out a fire. You're never focusing. You hire people because you feel like you need someone. And then they turn out to be more drama than it's worth, or they bring you more problems, or they don't solve your problems. So I get it. It's not like you get to sit back in a chair and think strategically 40 hours a week about your business. And that's the purpose of this. We're trying to make it bite size and for someone to go, gosh, this is time. This is the year that I'm going to purposely take control of my business and create the outcome that I want. So I can set up, you know, as depending on where someone's head is, you know, maybe even an exit strategy, maybe it's 20 years away, but it's a plan that's purposeful and creates a predictable outcome. For our listeners, apmsuccess.com slash 228 for episode 228. You can see the, the links that um, Zed is referencing here. We'll post all that in the show notes. Um, Zed, you pointed out something we were discussing before we hit record here that um, for independent practitioners who are also owners uh, who are clinically, you know, neck deep, neck deep in seeing patients every day, the opportunity cost is high to push pause on working in the practice to work on the practice. And I think that initial, st- the, the opportunity cost plus the sort of startup inertia can be a strong, a, a pretty high hurdle for doctors who are like, oh yeah, sure. Everybody wants a more efficient practice, but I, I, you know, take every Thursday and Friday for the next month off. That's a real cost. And I don't really know what I'm getting on the back end. So talk a little bit about how you help physicians um, think about that and how you have structured your process to reduce that starting friction, begin to help doctors see some payoff. And obviously this is a modular type of engagement where, uh, you know, businesses have many facets. Medical practices have many facets. They probably all need help. (laughs) all of the facets, right? but um, you can, it takes, uh, you know, time and the way you eat an elephant, proverbially speaking, one bite at a time. So tell us like, how do you think about that? How do you coach your clients through that? Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. And, you know, one thing has to be that kind of internal decision that I'm ready to go get this done. I'm ready to declare war on having a business that is built to achieve an outcome. It's predictable. There's accountability in the organization and that you have systems doing and creating the outcome that you want. And if someone is not at that point, then really nothing's going to work yet because you have to be at that point where you're saying, okay, now's the time. Now, once you get to that point, you are absolutely right about opportunity cost. And what frustrates me about the consulting industry with the air quotes is many times it's pay me for me to tell you how everything is screwed up and then see you later. Good luck. And I'm not a fan of that. So what we've done is we've created basically systems for them to use 
to be able to fix these problems. We've already built it. All we have to do is identify what that constraint is within the practice. It's similar to if they're treating a patient, they wouldn't throw everything at the patient before they understood what was wrong. And once they find out, they can narrow in and go, okay, we can make this the thing that we fix today. If there's multiple things, well, it might make sense to focus on this first and then tackle each item. And the reason why that's important, for instance, let's say somebody let's say somebody has a, uh, a major issue within one of the constraints and it would be simply fixed by a, a new program, software, whatever. I'm making up a scenario. But they also have a culture problem. I'll tell you that nothing can outfix a culture problem. So you got to tackle that first. And that may seem big and ambiguous, but it's just human behavior. That's what I love about it. Human behavior is something you can change. And you know what this business is built on is an understanding of human behavior and neuroscience. And instead of coming in and saying, hey, do this thing, we'll be able to come in and say, here's what you're faced with. Here's why you're faced with it from a human behavior standpoint. And here's how we tweak it. Here's how to hire people who fit this culture that is actually going to get your business to the next level. Here's how you lead those people. Here's how your managers lead and manage those people. Here's how to set up accountability. So you're just following a system, just like you would follow a treatment protocol or maybe a treatment algorithm. It's about human behavior and it's predictable. So we know that that opportunity cost is huge and we're not going to sit there and ask people to set aside two hours a week or one full day a month where you got to cancel, you know, clinic and focus on the business. It's frankly not realistic. Now, there are practices big enough where there's a practice leader and they can do that. That's great. But you don't have to. If we do this in that bite size, like you said, and we are deliberate and have discipline about the order in which we attack these things, then you can do it in that bite size piece, but you feel full. So in other words, you could take the little nibble, but you're satiated. And that's, that's really the point. What kind of commitment of time do you find is necessary to begin to, for someone to begin to feel like there's tangible progress? You mean from when they start to when they're going to notice something? Yeah. Yeah. I hate this answer. I hate this answer when people tell it to me, but frankly, it's real in this scenario is it depends. If, if someone has an awesome culture and there's just some broken pieces that they didn't realize was hurting their business. I mean, we're talking weeks. If, it's a really horrible place to work and they don't like that it's horrible and they want to fix that. Then you're going to be in it months, but it's still doable. Like the greatest thing about doing this with business is anybody with any problem can fast forward a year and look back at today and go, wow, I decided to make a change and we're seeing the beneficial outcome and it is massive. And Sometimes that might feel like a long time to somebody, but man, just think about, you remember when it was June and eh, it didn't feel like very long ago. It's just, what happens is we're, we're, we're running a marathon in business, staring at our feet and you don't realize how fast time flies when you're doing that. And it makes the marathon less effective because you're not looking where you're going. And so everything that we're doing is about lifting the, the business's vision 
to look more forward and be more purposeful where those steps are with an understanding of what's coming next, as opposed to always looking down and, oh, I can't step on that. Ooh, I can't step on that. It's not a great way to run a business. I like that you've identified the culture facet as an important foundational one. And I've observed this. I've experienced, I mean, I'm a business owner. I have people that work for me too. And I realized (laughs) my industry investments and financial planning is another one where like you start out as a practitioner, a technician, really, you get good enough at a thing. You're like, I think I can do this myself. Then you start doing it yourself and you don't, you didn't get into it because you love HR, (laughs) but alas, like HR is your problem. And if you don't attend to it appropriately, then it becomes literally a problem. And your culture is sort of the downstream effect of your, the system that you put in place to help people understand what you want them to be. So talk a little bit about if you get in there and people think they have a billing and receivables problem or a profitability problem, and you're like, your employees hate each other. <laughs> how, does, how does that work? And how do you help someone who's a technician in medicine think about mm-hmm. the health of the interactions of the people under their roof? Yeah. I'll tell you what it isn't. It's not have more barbecues or celebrate more birthdays or do a contest where someone wins dinner. There's a lot of stuff that happened. That term culture gets thrown around and it's, you know, some people think that means like, hey, we have to go play ping pong. Now we'll have a better culture. That's not what it means. A culture, everyone has a culture. Okay. There is no practice in the world that doesn't have a culture. It can be purposeful and built with, uh, this is what I want to achieve, or it'll just be created or allowed. And in business, whatever is allowed will become rule. So if you have employees and you're frustrated with callouts or people not showing up on time, you can blame the employees. It's just not the right thing to do. You, your management, you created an organization that has allowed that and allowing equals law. I mean, that's the best way to think about it. So when you think about culture, culture is, let's say in practice is open Monday through Friday. To me, the definition of culture is every person in your organization, Sunday night, going to bed with a smile on their face because they get to go to work tomorrow. And that is very doable. It can be created with absolute precision and defined outcome. And it has nothing to do with let's do goofy stuff at the office. It has to do with understanding really what matters to you as the business owner and the practice. Because the practice is this, it's it's an organism. And there's a why behind that practice. The true reason that you exist from the standpoint of of your, your, your business. And then if you put people into the organization that are aligned with those same beliefs And then everybody's following a system where they're all reminding each other of those beliefs in all the things we do day to day, you start getting this ridiculous, everybody's, you know, everybody's got the oar and they're all rowing in the same direction with the same cadence. And that's what I believe is a strong culture. Sometimes culture gets thrown around as squishy or like, oh, you know, people just got to show up at work. Hey, that's cool. If you believe that and that's your existence, all we got to do is find the people who also believe that because they are out there. You know, in in my organization, we have a lot of services under what we do. We develop websites. Uh, we do advertising. 
um, all kinds, digital broadcast. Uh, we're an appointment setting call center and everybody goes to sleep Sunday night, excited about Monday. There are people who are working the call center and they crush it. They absolutely love it. They love helping patients. Their why aligns with our why, and they can't wait for every single phone conversation and the patients benefit from that. Now, what I could also do is I could go hire a bunch of people who are miserable in a call center, and then I could blame them for not being good employees. But in reality, that would be my fault. So it goes back to every system is perfectly designed to get the result it gets. There are going to be people listening to this who won't. They'll say, no, that's not true. And that's fine. If you believe that, that's cool. When you, if you are someone who is open to the belief, it gives you so much freedom because now you're not blaming out there. You know, if you think about, let's say one, you know, there was a day where someone said, eh, can't fly. There's gravity. That's a law. Yeah, a lot of people agreed with that and kind of went on with their day. And then some people said, well, that's just a system. And the current perfect outcome of what we have is we're not able to fly. But if we create a new system, we can change the result. And the same thing exists in your business. Everything that you're experiencing right now, you have to treat it as it is on purpose by you because you're not doing something to change it. There is no, like, it's just the way it is. That's BS. It's just the way it is because the system is the way it is. I can't help it. That's BS. You have to be in the position to say, you know what? I don't like it. That's totally different. And I'm ready to do something about it. And that's what the Physician Growth Accelerator is all about. That's who it's for. It's the person who says, that's it. I've had enough. I don't like it. I want it better. And now I'm ready to make the tweaks to the system to create a different outcome. Talk about the process where, okay, there's, you know, 10 people. <laughs> I think four of them are good. I think four of them can be culturally rehabilitated. And I get the nagging sense that two of them are just perpetually rowing in the wrong direction. How do you help a client think through that? Think about the mechanisms for feedback and coaching and turning the ship yeah. on cultural evolution. So everything is related. And someone right now might be thinking, I have someone in my organization that I know needs to go, but I just can't do it. And they're just like, it's hard to get good people or they have so much tribal knowledge of the practice. Um, if I get rid of them, we're going to be doomed. And what we would be able to show that person is there's a process and a system to get to the point where you don't feel that. And anytime there is someone in your organization that in the back of your head, you know, they shouldn't be there. When you do finally make the decision, guess who benefits? Everybody. The person you let go, they actually go on to something that's better suited for them. Everyone in your office goes, took you long enough. And you realize there's this gigantic weight off your shoulders. And the reason people avoid it is because people don't have a good system for hiring and onboarding, which is why we provide a very specific process to follow because you don't need to hire by throwing spaghetti against the wall. You can hire to bring the person on purpose in that is already going to fit that culture that you're looking for. They're already, they're already rowing in the same direction. They just got to get in your boat. Right now, 
people typically hire by going, um, we'll give that person an or. I don't know if they're going to row in our direction or not, but we need people. And so there's always a process around that. Typically, this also may sting, sorry. <laughs> if people are miserable in their role, that's generally due to their leader or manager. As humans, we want to know what we do matters. If you have employees who've gone home from work for the last three, four, five, six months, and they don't know if they did a good job or not, that's really on you. And that will create a miserable employee. And that is definitely someone that can be rehabbed from a culture standpoint. And what happens when you're the business owner is you don't get anybody to kind of give you that pat on the back to say that you did a good job or didn't do a good job. So it's not front of mind, like, wait, do I have to walk around and pat everybody on the back? No. And there needs to be a process where, you know, Sue goes home and can, and just has an idea and it's okay if they know that they did a bad job, that's valuable. It's the reason, you know, this is kind of nuts how business is set up. There's a term called PIP or performance improvement plan. That's used a lot of times and HR goes, eh, we're going to have to talk to that person. We're going to put them on a performance improvement plan. I love performance improvement plans. If you want to keep your worst people for longer. Um, <laughs> if you don't want to do that, it'd be better to just have a system in place for everyone to understand, are they doing a good job or not on daily, weekly, or monthly basis? Because here's what happens right now in that performance improvement plan model. Let's put all of our attention at the people who are not doing a great job and let's ignore the people who are good. And what happens, because what we allow becomes law, is the people we ignore who are great employees will now turn into bad employees because in their brain, subconsciously, it doesn't really matter if I'm on time. It doesn't really matter if I do this work well. I did this screw up and no one mentioned anything. You know what? I can just kind of, eh, I don't matter. And once someone says, I don't matter, it's going to go downhill. And then the people that we really are hurting our business, we're doing all the stuff to keep them around forever, which just blows my mind. But that's typically what you see happen. So we would work with the practice, identify opportunity. You don't want to just come in through a machete and you know get rid of people willy-nilly. But if you create a structure around, here's what this business believes Here's what is important to this business. And here are the standards of the business. I got kicked in the, the mental guts a few years back. And, you know, a lot of the stuff that we do, this is what we've learned with working with hundreds and hundreds of practices over the last 13 years. I started this business just, you know, I started the business. I was a one person employee. We grew to 44 people and we never took any investment. It's just, you know, kind of a bootstrap, not kind of, it's a bootstrap business. And we screwed up a lot. And what I love about failure and screwing up is it's a really nice way to learn because you tend to hold on to it if you're paying attention. And I got kicked in the mental guts a couple of years back when there was a question about a team member. And they were kind of going back and forth of whether we should have them on board or not. And I said, if we had higher standards, would they be here? And they go, oh, no. And I went, oh, my God. Okay. So that's on me for not being super clear on what are the standards. And so I'm kind of rambling now, but the idea is 
all of this stuff is connected. If you create this model of who the business is, what the business care about, what are the standards of this organization and why what we do matters, then you can trickle that down through your entire organization. And that's how everybody starts to get in sync in rowing in the right direction. The people who are not going to be good fits, it's going to be evident. And I'll tell you, when you have this right and it's time for someone to move on, they usually thank you because it wasn't right for them either. And it doesn't have to be this horrible gut-wrenching thing. We're all humans that would rather be in places that were good fits. And everyone has a good fit somewhere. It just doesn't mean that it has to be on your back to, to force them into your organization. Sorry for the rambling. <laughs> so it sounds like some internal reflection, internal organizationally or even internal personally to say like, what... What are the values and the standards to which we're going to adhere and on the basis of which we're going to give feedback for those four of the 10 who we want to rehabilitate those values in a couple key non-negotiable areas is sort of the, you got to set the standard and start somewhere. Can yep. you talk about like, you know, you mentioned you were just working with a client on an offsite. Uh, I'm, I'm curious if this was part of the, the process, the creation of those standards, or perhaps they've done that in the past and how they then interact with that as it relates to their employees to move the culture in the way that they want it to go. Yeah. So we had worked with them in the past to build a lot of that uh, cultural guidelines, the things that mattered, why they exist. And so they're in a much, you know, they're kind of already moving in that direction. The, the things that we uncover though. So everything is about discipline and discipline doesn't mean like boot camp discipline like someone's yelling at you, but it's about being clear on expectations and desired destination and our track towards that destination and feedback. And so we can have a discipline of people, we can have discipline of thought, and we can have discipline of action. And if we're paying attention to those three things, then we are going to be moving in the right direction. So this specific offsite, we were diving into the uh, discipline of thought and discipline of action. Because sometimes what happens is your business fades a little bit off course. And if you're not measuring the data to tell you, then the off course can go for a while and it feels like a big corrective action to get back. Whereas imagine if you were, you know, if you had to drive across country and you're in San Diego and you just started driving Maybe you'll get to your destination. Maybe you won't. If you know that your destination is Buffalo, New York, now you have an idea of the path. But if you never check the path until you've driven for 40 hours, you might be in Canada or Mexico, right? You have to have an understanding of what are the metrics I'm checking along my way. So this specific offsite, we were developing what is Buffalo, New York for the practice from the standpoint of a destination. And then what are the time points in which we check our location on the map to make sure that we're on there from a standpoint of how far we've gotten, the direction we're going, and just communicating that through the organization so it continues to build on itself. Another really, this was just a fun exercise that we did. It's called uh, Brutal Facts. And the leadership team, we just brainstormed five brutal facts about the business. And what's awesome when you do that, so in this case, it was four people, 
each doing a, a five brutal facts, you realize there's things, barriers, constraints in the business that was in our way. And man, we all kind of knew it, but it just never bubbled up to do anything about it. And when you do these brutal facts and you realize that four people were saying similar things, but there was never a plan to tackle this, you could easily see going in another full year in, in the business and being okay because you know it's good enough for some people. But also, now that it's glaring at us, now we can be purposeful about fixing those specific things. Can you give an so example? It was, it was a, a really good event. Those facts. Um, yeah. So the one that really jumped out was a general theme around accountability within the organization, meaning they have good processes, they have good people, but sometimes there's just this feeling that people aren't accountable for what they're supposed to be accountable for. And what you'll hear is this always cracks me up. Well, you know, what we got to do is we got to hold people accountable. Um, yeah, that's not possible because people do have free will. Now we can create barriers and we can create, you know, bumper bowling for people to just softly nudge up against the side and hopefully get in the right position. But the actual idea of holding someone accountable doesn't really work. Accountability is truly, it's, it's after an equal sign in an equation. Okay. You can't hold it. It just exists. And the two other parts of that equation is leadership and management, which is very different. Leadership is here's the vision. Here's where we're going. Management is here's the execution of that. If I give someone those two things, then accountability will be the outcome. So that was probably the, the biggest one where multiple comments, it's not like everyone wrote down accountability, but they write down little things. It's like symptoms. That's, it's crazy how much of this applies to, to how this field works with patients. And very rarely do you ever make this connection. But imagine they wrote maybe 12 symptoms. And when you looked at them as a group, you went, man, someone's sick with a lack of accountability and it covers all these symptoms. So instead of trying, because here's what has happened in the practice before. Oh, we'll fix the symptom. That don't work. I ain't going to, you know, <laughs> that's, that doesn't do it. You got to understand the root cause. And so that's the value of thinking about the business this way is shoot. In the past, this one little frustration we would have just thrown a Band-Aid on it. We would have maybe dealt with like, hey, next time you do this. And in reality, the issue was deeper than that. We had accountability disease. So we needed to, we should probably, I like that, accountability disease. Anyway. Um, <laughs> I'm picturing we need an to episode prescribe. of House MD where you get the, you know, the four residents in the room there. And then yeah. Hugh Laurie's oh, got yeah, the dry yeah, erase perfect. board and it's like, yeah, yeah, they're all brainstorming stuff. And that, uh, oh, I that love makes, that. There's definitely that a, a lot of sense. There. Yeah. <laughs> but that's, um, you know, that was one of them. Some other brutal facts were around being clear on processes. And it doesn't, like I said, it doesn't show up as like our processes aren't clear, but you'll see something like uh, wrong insurance collected or a wrong appointment type and blah, blah, blah. And what it does is it shows you what as long as you dig through it the right way, ah, here's the root cause. Mm -hmm. Cool. We're going to have to wrap it there because we're 
pushing the, the boundaries of how much we can cover in one episode, but I can tell that we should have this conversation again and perhaps look at some of those other vitals that you help practice owners address. So for our listeners, apmsuccess.com slash 228. You can get Zed's contact info, some information about his company and all the things that they do in their process. Zed, as always, thank you for joining us this week and look forward to doing this again soon. Thanks. Appreciate it. If you liked what you heard this week, head on over to apmsuccess.com, where you can find more content and free resources to help you build a successful career in anesthesia and pain management. If you wanted to leave a review in iTunes, I'd also really appreciate it. Thanks for using some of your valuable time to join me today on APM Success.